0: Show. Tomorrow is Election Day, or as H.L. Mencken once described the process, an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods. And my wife has kind of been bugging me for some time to urge people who listen to my podcast to go out and vote on Election Day. And I think she's prepared to blame me. If there are any close races, either for the House, Senate, or maybe even for governors, that end up going to the Democrats. If I do not urge my listeners to go out and vote against that wave, somehow it's going to be my fault. So I've got to make sure and keep peace in my marriage and urge all of the people who listen to me to actually go out and vote this Tuesday on Election Day. Now, in most cases, our votes are not even going to matter. In fact, in most cases, it amounts to voting between the lesser of two evils. And even though the lesser of two evils is still evil, it is lesser. And when it comes to evil, I guess lesser is better than greater. Although in some cases, there are actually some good candidates who are running. I mean, some of the problems, though, is when good candidates actually get elected, uh, once they get into the cesspool that is Washington, D.C., a lot of the values that led them into politics go out the window. If they want to stay there, you know, you can have, uh, you know, good intentions when you get to Washington and you can be principled and you can say, I'm going there to make the country a better place. But ultimately once you get there, everything changes. And in fact, when it comes to elections and politics the worst candidate usually wins i mean if you are a candidate or a elected official and you are making decisions that are economically sound and that are in the best interest of your nation or your constituents and if your opponent is making decisions based on politics right which decisions or which you know are more likely to result in a larger number of votes, right? Which decisions are likely to land me money from special interests, money that is needed to fund my campaign. Well, if you're campaigning on principle and your opponent is a practical politician, who's going to win? I mean, even if you win a few elections, you're eventually going to lose. And the politicians who are in office the longest are the ones who are the most successful at putting politics ahead of principle, the ones who have sold all of their principles uh, in order to win re-election, which is why, in many cases, I think the best thing to do is just vote against the incumbents, right? Because you figure that the guy that's in there is more corrupt than the guy that's not there yet. And to the extent that we can get rid of a lot of the incumbents, then maybe we'll cut down on the corruption and the power from Washington. Uh, But in this case, I think if the... Uh, incumbent is a Republican, you got to vote to keep them, even if it means you have to hold your nose and vote to keep them, because chances are the Democrat who's trying to take his seat is even worse because the current crop of Democrats is probably unlike any crop that we've seen. I've been talking about this on my podcast. Uh, They are moving way left. Uh, This is a socialist uh, Democratic Party. You know, in the past, you had a lot of socialists in the Democratic Party, but, you know, they were in the closet and they were afraid to come out, right? Well, now it's fashionable to declare that you're a socialist because there's no longer a stigma attached to it. In fact, it shows that you get it. You're progressive. You're with it. You're part of the, the new generation. You know, you're here to make change and, you know, you're progressive and so it's kind of a badge of honor now that you can proudly display if you're a socialist as long as you say you're a democratic socialist right I'm not I'm not a bad socialist I'm a good socialist because I'm um, for democratic socialism as if democracy in and of itself is a good thing it is not democracy is a uh, is a tyrannical form of government democracy is like mobocracy it is a dictatorship of of the majority, and people who think that somehow democracy uh, is freedom, they're wrong. You can have a very free society and not be a democracy, and you can have democratic elections and have basically no freedom. I mean, what difference does it make if you can vote You know, among your various oppressors? If regardless of the outcome, uh, you're still oppressed, uh, then voting for the tyrants uh, is not freedom. I would rather live in a country where I can't vote and where I'm free than in a country where I can vote and I'm not free. And you know when the United States was first started as a republic, and that's what it is, and if you think the United States is a democracy, well, you're wrong. I mean, it's not supposed to be a democracy. It may be a lot more democratic now uh, than the framers envisioned. But if you check the Constitution and you read it, you will see that it says that the United States shall guarantee to each state of the union a republican form of government. The word democracy cannot be found anywhere in our founding documents. It is not in the Constitution. It is not part of the Bill of Rights. It is not in the Declaration of Independence. This country is not a democracy. It was founded to prevent democracy from rearing its ugly head. Cite the Pledge of Allegiance. It is to the republic for which the flag stands not the democracy. In fact, I don't think anybody really talked about democracy until Woodrow Wilson decided he wanted to make the world safe for democracy when he unfortunately got America into World War I. But we are a republic. When they asked Ben Franklin, Dr. Franklin, what have you given us? His answer was a republic if you can keep it. The problem was we could not keep it. I mean, we kept it long enough for America to become the richest country in the history of the world. Uh, But we didn't keep it long enough for America to stay the richest country in the history of the world. I mean, now, of course, America is the world's greatest debtor. Uh, We owe more money than all the other debtor nations of the world combined. And we are headed to a major economic crisis. But that is the subject of different podcasts. I just want to stay on politics and voting. But we are not supposed to be a democracy. We are supposed to be a republic. And the difference is, you know, the republic recognizes That the majority is usually wrong. And the goal of government is good government, not that the government do what the majority of people want. Because the majority of people want a lot of bad things. And the key is to make sure that bad things aren't done. And the way the United States was founded, if the Constitution were followed, the elections wouldn't really matter. Because the federal government has very little power. They can't really do much if you follow the Constitution. The problem is they don't follow the Constitution anymore. The government has all sorts of power to do all sorts of harm, which is why it's particularly dangerous now That We have a democracy because you know the people who want something for nothing and want the government to steal for them outnumber the people that have the stuff uh, that the government steals so it's very easy uh, to get elected if you're promising something for nothing that's why I said at the onset it's an advanced auction on the sale of stolen goods because people get elected promising stuff and for the Democrats the stuff that they promise is something for nothing, whether it's uh, college, education, higher wages, uh, 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 retirement, uh, family leave, nobody can discriminate against you. There's all sorts of things that the, the Democrats say if you vote for me, I will give you this stuff. And of course, you know, they get a lot of votes. I mean, that's one of the reasons that the Democrats claim to be the party of all the minorities, right? We're the party of African Americans or Latinos. Or women, or LBGQ, uh, all these various groups, uh, the Democrats claim to be the party that represents those groups. Well, that's because they promise to give those groups something for nothing in exchange for their votes. That's why you have so many people who fall within those groups that vote Democrats because they they think they're going to get something. They're selling their vote for the stuff that they think the government is going to give them uh, in exchange for their vote. But of course, the government doesn't have anything to give. All it can do is take. Uh, from some people, and of course, the people who are being stolen from don't want to vote for the thieves, but the people who are the beneficiary of the loot, they are going to vote for the thieves. But of course, the the other problem with democracy is, you know, what is good economics is usually bad politics, and the reverse. You know, what is good politics is bad economics, and, and that's because a lot of the public just doesn't understand economics, even if they've majored in it at one of our universities, they've been brainwashed. But obviously, a lot of people don't even study economics and they believe all this nonsense uh, that they're being told. And, And so, you know, you end up with all the bad legislation being passed. In fact, if you think about the way elections work, it's the idiots in the country that ultimately decide the outcome, right? Because most of the money that is raised in politics is spent On commercials, right? Ad buys, television buys. How many people decide who they're going to vote for based on a television ad? I mean, the idiots. I mean, anybody with any kind of intelligence knows who they're going to vote for without the ads, right? Even the Democrats. Look, the Democrats aren't all dumb. There are some very intelligent Democrats out there. They're 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 just wrong in their assessments and their conclusions, Uh, and in many cases, they're letting their heart. Uh, you know, outthink their their brain. And so they're coming to the wrong conclusion. But, you know, these Democrats do not need a television commercial to know who they're going to vote for. Uh, you know, they can you know use the Internet. They can see who the candidates are. They can study the issues and they can make an informed decision. Even if it's the wrong decision, it's still an informed decision. And, you know, most Republicans, by and large, you know, are going to be able to decide without the influence of a television commercial who they're going to vote for. But ultimately, it's the voters who are swayed by the commercials that determine the outcome of the election. In other words, the idiots. That's who is electing our leaders. And not, you know, when it comes to the president, it's not all the idiots. It's just the idiots that live in swing states. That's who determines the outcome of a presidential election. The people who are dumb enough to decide their vote based on the television commercial uh, in the swing states. But, of course, you know, we have more and more people who now have college degrees, which means, of course, we have more and more functional morons. uh, Because the more time people spend in college, the less they understand economics. And, you know, once upon a time, very few Americans went to college. And, of course, even back then, the colleges, you know, were by and large a lot better. I mean, now there's cesspools of political correctness. Everybody is, is a liberal. And so we have all these people in college, of course. They have more reasons to vote for Democrats now because they're also unemployed, or if they're employed, they're underemployed. They have a lousy job and they have a mountain of debt. And then you have some Democrat who's promising uh, to increase their wages or wipe out their debt, and these guys are dumb enough to vote for them. So you know the government can create a constituency of people, uh, you know, who are going to continue to vote these politicians back into office. And you know the problem is the people who want something from government and the people who don't understand economics far outnumber the people who are going to cast good votes. And so the key to having a successful economy is to have a check on democracy. And in the Constitution, I mean, we did that. The House of Representatives was the only body that was elected by the people. And they were elected every two years. Um, And the idea was that the congressmen wouldn't be there that long. Because, hey, they had to run for office every couple of years. The pay wasn't that high initially. I mean, nobody thought that, that the congressmen would be there for life. They didn't have pensions and their own congressional uh, health care system. It was really, you know, a patriotic civic duty to, you know, to, to be in the House of Representatives for a couple of terms and then go back to your real job. Uh, and, of course, since people were in politics, not as a career, but, you know, as a as a as a community service, they spent most of their time in the real world. And so they understood the real world they actually had jobs they actually ran businesses uh, unlike today's career politicians that have never had real jobs that have never run businesses um, but the senators the senators were not elected that didn't happen until a constitutional amendment uh, the senators were appointed by the state legislatures so the people did not elect them and they were there for six years but their terms were staggered And, you know, the reason their terms were staggered where you had one third up every two years was because the founders wanted to make sure that if there was some kind of popular wave of belief, something became in vogue, that at most it would capture, uh, a third of the Senate. They didn't want the entire Senate to, to fall victim to some new thing that could just be a flash in the pan. And they knew that, you know, they wanted change to take place over a gradual period of time so that more people can reflect on some new ideas. So that was very undemocratic. The president was not elected by the people. The president was elected by the electoral college. I mean, we still have uh, the remnants of that now, except it's a shadow of what it used to be. Uh, but the Electoral College were independent electors who voted on who the president was going to be. I mean, they didn't get sent to Washington to, you know, bound to vote for a particular candidate. They were able to vote for whoever they thought was best. So it was a representative type of democracy where the people's representatives, who were more informed than the people themselves, were going to decide on the outcome of the president. And then, of course, when it came to voting, not everybody voted. What was the voting age? When the Constitution was written, it was 21, and it wasn't lowered to 18 until the Vietnam days, and again, that was by constitutional amendment, and the reason it was lowered is because people were saying, if you're old enough to fight, you're old enough to vote, and the politicians bought it. Politicians always want young people to vote. In fact, it was up to the Democrats. Every little kid would be voting. They'd be voting in elementary school, right? I mean, they already want to lower the the voting age. The lower, the better, because the lo- the younger you are, the more likely you are to vote for an idiot. Right, because you just don't know. I mean, you're gonna, you don't have any real world experience. You're just gonna vote for whoever promises the most free stuff. But when the voting age was 21, life expectancy was a lot lower than it is today. But of course, 21 year olds were far more mature in you know 1800 uh, than they are today. 21 year olds in you know 1800, you know 1790. Uh, if you were 21, you were probably married. You probably been married for a few years. You probably had a couple of kids. Uh, You've probably been working for eight to 10 years because most people, you know, if they went to school, I mean, by the time they were 10 or 12, they were done and they were working. Uh, So you were working. And, of course, you had to be male. Right. So females weren't allowed to vote back then because females generally did not work outside the home. uh, And so they didn't have as much real world experience. And so the framers thought that, you know, they obviously wouldn't make informed uh, decisions on who to vote for. Obviously, times are different now. There would be no reason to exclude women Uh, from voting uh, but there was a legitimate reason to do it back then it wasn't because they were a bunch of sexists it was the times that's how they were and women were not expected uh to make informed decisions and they didn't want uninformed people voting uh but you know so 21 year olds at the time had been working in business Uh, uh they had an understanding maybe they owned property they were raising families and so that was uh you know a significant thing also um there were poll taxes. People had to pay a tax to vote. Uh, sometimes you had property restrictions. You had to own property. There were literacy tests. All this wasn't because people were a bunch of bigots or a bunch of racists. They just wanted to whittle down the, the, the pool of voters to make sure that we had the best possible outcome uh, of the election. And that's fine. But think about your typical 18 year old today. I mean, your typical 18 year old has never had a job. I mean, they're, they're not married. I mean, they're probably still living with their parents. I mean, we have people who are turning 18 while they are still seniors in high school. And in fact, you're allowed to vote in the primaries if you'll be 18 by the time of the election. So we're letting a lot of high school seniors vote in, in our elections who have absolutely no real world experience whatsoever. In fact, even if the voting age were 21, I mean, even 21 year olds today have probably never had a job. I mean, most people don't graduate college until they're 21, 22, if that. I mean, then you have people that go on to get advanced degrees, master's degrees, PhDs. A lot of Americans don't actually have their first job until they're in their 30s. Yet we're letting people vote when they're 18. It makes absolutely no sense. We should increase the voting age. I say if the voting age was 21 back in the 1790s? You know, if that was the original age, I think the voting age should be something like 30 or 35, because by the time somebody is 35, at least they've actually been out in the real world. They've experienced uh, paying taxes. They know that stuff doesn't come from from heaven. That all these government programs have a cost. They'll understand the downside. They'll understand the negative effects of all this well-intentioned legislation. At least some of them will, not all of them. I mean, there are plenty of people who never grow up, right? I mean, most Democrats are like kids who never grow up because they never learn from their mistakes. They never overcome uh, the naivety of, of youth, right? That was the old expression. If you're not a liberal by the time you're 18, you don't have a heart. But if you're not a conservative by the time you're 28, you don't have a head. Well, you know that's why I want to delay the voting age, so people aren't voting with their hearts, so they're voting with their heads. And you know, of course, that's never going to happen, right? Just like it'd make a lot of sense if we had literacy tests today, or if we had a poll tax. I mean, what's wrong with you know charging a tax to pay? That way, if you have to pay a tax to vote, then the only people who vote will people who who care. I mean, they care enough about their vote to pay the tax. I mean, why do you want idiots uh, voting in elections? Now, of course. If we limit the power of government so that they can't take from some people and give to somebody else, then it doesn't matter. It's not like the people who are voting are going to use their votes against the people who don't vote. The purpose of voting is to maintain liberty, to maintain freedom, to make sure the government doesn't steal and that people don't use government to steal in their place. If stealing is wrong... It's not right to vote for somebody who's going to do what you can't do yourself. If it's wrong for the individual voter to steal, then it's wrong for his elected representative to steal for him. So I think we should raise the voting age. In fact, we should raise the age of the candidates. I mean, the congressman, you know, you could be in office if you're 25. Uh, You know, that was the same as when the Constitution was written. Congressman, House of Representatives, you could be 25. Senators could be 30 and presidents could be 35. I say, you know, raise Congress up to 35, raise the senators up to 40, and make it 45 to be the president. I mean, make sure our elected officials spend some real time doing real work before they go to Washington. And if you increase the age at which they can start their careers, then you decrease the amount of time they spend in Washington, and you make the whole, you know— career less appealing so that more people who go to Washington go there for the right reasons to help their country, not for the wrong reasons to help themselves. You know, a lot of people think that you know going into government is noble and people trust uh, people in government, that they're public servants and they're there to do good. And they, they don't trust people in the private enterprise. They don't trust businessmen because, you know, they're just there to make a profit. They just care about themselves as if politicians uh, don't care about themselves. In many cases, politics is simply the way politicians can make the most amount of money. They make a career choice. How can I make the most money? How can I get the most perks? How can I live the best life? And they decide that politics is the way to do it, that they they're not smart enough to actually generate their own wealth, uh, but they're smart enough to know that they can get in the business of peddling influence. They can help steal the wealth that some people create and, and divvy it up among the people who vote for them. Or in some cases, what governments do now that government has all this power, they basically lobby all the people that they could use that power against. Uh, to give them money so that they won't use it, kind of like the mafia gets protection money. You know, the mafia uh, will go to a shop owner and, hey, you know, give me some money and I won't burn down your shop, right? And then you pay them. Uh, you are being—they're protecting you from them. From them. Well, that's what the government does. The government basically has this big club, and they say, give, you know, help me stay in office and I won't club you, or more importantly, I'll use the club on your competitor. Elect me, give me money, and not only won't I club you, I'm going to club your competitor. And so a lot of businesses use politicians to gain unfair advantage in the marketplace over people who have less political connections. But the reality is, you know, I feel that the people who stay out of politics in general are far more noble than the people who enter it. The people who are trying to earn my money uh, are much more uh, noble than the people who are trying to steal it, right? And it's amazing how, again, People are very trusting of politicians and they're very skeptical of businessmen, right? Oh, they're they're out to make a profit. Well, they can't steal the profit, right? They have to earn the profit. How do they earn a profit? They have to come up with a product that I want to buy, right? They have to come up with a, a better quality and a lower price than a competitor. So that's fine. That's great. They're helping me out. But the politicians can rise to power uh, doing nothing positive for me. They can rise to power doing all sorts of things that hurt me, that undermine me because they don't have to earn their power. They just have to get elected and you can get elected by being dishonest, by being, by being on the take, by, by, you know, by just raising more money than, than your opponent. And then once you have that power and I have no freedom, Right. You, that power can be used against me. So don't think that the people that go to Washington are are have some monopoly on nobility and caring and ethics. They don't. They're generally less ethical. I mean, if they could make more money in the private sector, that's where they'd be. The fact of the matter is, they can make more money in politics than any other career, and so that's where they went. And don't let them pretend that they're public servants when they're not. They're serving themselves, except they're doing it uh, at the point of a gun using force rather than through voluntary exchange in a free and open market. But I mean, voting doesn't mean anything. First of all, I can't even vote anymore. I live in Puerto Rico now. So, I mean, I could vote for the governor of Puerto Rico, but we have no congressional representation and I can't vote for president. Uh, But, you know, I'm fine not voting, right? Because I know that, you know, When I usually when I vote, I lived in Connecticut and so it doesn't matter. I could vote 10 times and my votes would be canceled out by 10 idiots who are going to vote the opposite of me. But in general, I would rather live in a society with good government where I can't vote, where I know that the people who can vote are going to exercise responsible votes. I'm happy trusting a group of responsible people that may not include me. Maybe I can't meet the criteria to vote. But if I know there's a group of responsible people voting, then I'm happy. But if I can vote, but so can all the other idiots and my vote is meaningless, then what difference does it make? And that's the situation that Americans are in today. We don't have any more uh, literacy tests. Uh, We don't have any more property qualifications. There's no more poll taxes. Anybody who's a citizen who's 18 year old can vote. And of course, if you're living in some states like California, you don't even have to be a citizen. You probably don't even have to be 18. You probably don't even have to be alive. There are a lot of dead people, apparently, that are still voting. But the bottom line is, you know, we're making it easier to vote. And a lot of people think this is great, right? They want more people voting, right? Everybody celebrates when there's a high turnout. I'd rather have a low turnout. If you're going to vote for the socialist candidate, I'd rather you not vote. See, that's supposedly politically incorrect to say that. You're supposed to say that. You want everybody to vote? No, I don't. I don't want anybody to vote who's going to vote for a candidate I don't like. I want all those people to stay home. Because what's important is the outcome. Not how many people vote. I'd rather have one person vote for the right candidate than everybody come out and vote and have the wrong candidate wins. See, I'm about substance I'm about results intentions don't mean anything it doesn't matter it is not a good thing if a bunch of people come out and vote for a democratic socialist because socialism isn't any better if it wins uh, at a ballot box versus at the point of a gun doesn't matter how we get to socialism once we're there it's the same outcome it's just as wrong if the government steals with the support of the majority than if it doesn't have the support of the majority. Because theft is still theft and it is still wrong. But again, if we followed the Constitution, uh, it wouldn't matter because the government wouldn't be in a position to do as much damage. But now... The government is in a position to do a lot of damage because we don't follow the Constitution. And so it is important uh, to try to influence the outcome. Now, there's something to be said. Some people like to just not even vote at all, just in protest. And I thought that way for a while. There are a number of years where I didn't want to even legitimize the process of voting for D or Dummer. right? I mean, it was Demopublicans, Republicrats, didn't matter. And then for a while, I just voted libertarian, which also, again, I mean, I kind of legitimized the process by pretending I had a valid choice. And you'd vote libertarian, and they wouldn't even report the vote count of the libertarian candidate. Uh, but I started to do that anyway just to support the libertarians. But, you know, then I ran for office uh, as a Republican in 2010, and some of you listening to this podcast uh, supported my campaign. Some of you worked on the campaign. Many of you uh, donated money, and I'm sorry that you wasted your money. You know, I wasted a lot of mine, uh, but I appreciate appreciated that. But of course, one of the, the things that they, they had against me early on is I admitted that I hadn't voted in a while, and they thought that that was a really bad thing. And so I actually started to vote and I started to think, you know, if you want to look at it as a civic responsibility, I mean, you could try to make a protest and say, I don't want to legitimize it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, if you're not voting at all and then you're complaining, people can say, well, you know, you did nothing personally to try to alter Uh, the path that we're on. And so even though voting may end up being a waste of time, at least if you waste your time to make the vote, people can't accuse you of being part of the problem because you didn't vote. So you can try to vote, even though you're more likely to be outnumbered uh, by the idiots and by the takers and by the people who want something for nothing. It's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, this is the fate of all democracies, but, you know, we don't have to go down without a fight. And so I think that people should vote. If you were planning on not voting, vote This is the strategy that I um, advocate. So if you are living in a blue state that is overwhelmingly blue, right? If you know that the Democrat is going to win, no matter what you do, your vote is immaterial, right? then you can vote libertarian just to, you know, show that you don't approve of, you know, what Republicans have been doing. And you can vote for the libertarian because chances are there's a libertarian on the ballot and he's probably a good guy. I mean, anybody or gal who's going to be a libertarian uh, is probably philosophically uh, much closer to my way of thinking uh, than a Republican or a Democrat. Although sometimes there are some libertarians who run as Republicans, which I did because they think it's a more practical route to win the election, which is true. I mean, you know, the Libertarian candidate has no chance and the Republican candidate has a chance. But if the Republican candidate is governing as a Libertarian, he's probably not going to get elected and he's probably not going to stay in office if he is elected unless he changes his ways, which ultimately has to happen. So if you're in a state that is overwhelmingly blue, you can vote Libertarian. The same thing if it's overwhelmingly red. If you know that you have a uh, Republican congressman who is in a safe district, who is going to cruise in. You don't have to vote for that guy. You can vote for the libertarian uh, to try to send a message that you do not approve of the big deficits, uh, the reckless government spending that is now being espoused by the Republican Party. And so you, you can vote libertarian. But if you are living in a congressional district that is in play, if you're living in a state like Florida, you know where the governorship theoretically is in play, right? Then you got to come out and you got to vote for the Republican. You know, you got to hold your nose and do it. Even if you don't think that he's the greatest candidate, chances are he's not as bad as his Democratic opponent. But the problem I have right now, again, with the Democratic Party is this political correctness, this, this animosity, this, you know, the, the, the nation really is a house divided. I mean, the, the, the difference now between Republicans and Democrats, even though Economically, it's actually not that great. Everybody believes in big government, but there seems to be a real big social divide, not on the economic issues. I mean, we've already lost that argument, right? I mean, even the Republicans want no pre-existing conditions, right? They all want Social Security. They all want Medicare. You know, they all want minimum wage. That's a question of what, what it should be. I mean, we've already lost for now. The argument of you know big big government versus small government. Uh, the Democrats want big government. The Republicans want big government. The Democrats just want government even bigger than the Republicans. Uh, but both sides are willing to borrow tremendous amounts of money to finance that big government. But the Democrats have now gone to the socialist side, right? they they've gone over to the dark side of the force. Uh, they don't just want big government; they want total government. They don't believe in individual liberty anymore. That's out the window. There is no more individual freedom. It's all group uh, privilege, and freedom of you know uh, individuals and all sorts of rights. Uh, That you thought the Democrats would have at least defended for a while, the Democratic Party on social issues wasn't bad. In some cases, they were better than the Republicans. I mean, they were more that the government should stay out of uh, your bedroom, stay out of the 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 uh, the social issues. And, you know, and they wanted them to be involved in the the market. Right. They thought people should have, you know, be pro-choice or have freedom of choice with their personal life, but not in their business life. And with the Republicans, they generally uh, believed in freedom of choice for uh, economic realms, but but not when it came to uh, some of the social issues. Now, you know, I would always argue with Democrats on uh, freedom of choice because, you know, they would talk about uh, when it comes to abortion, they want to know if you're, you know, you're pro-choice or you're uh, pro-life. But when I always talked about being pro-choice, I said, I'm pro-choice on everything. How about you? You know, and I would say, are you, are are you pro-choice if I'm an employee and I choose to work for less than minimum wage? Should I be able to make that choice? And of course they'd say, no, you can't make that choice. Okay. So you're not, you're not pro-choice. You you want government to enforce its will on people. You want the government to force people to do things they don't want to do. So Democrats are not pro-choice. Right, I mean, they want to, uh, you know, issue orders that people are forced to abide by, and all sorts of things. Right, I mean, you know, you can't buy drugs that you want; you only can buy the drugs that the government approves. Right, you can't eat certain foods. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can't do. And you know, if you run businesses, there's all sorts of things that you can't do. You have to do all, you got to buy by all these government rules. You have very little choice when it comes to how you want to run your business. I mean, there's some things where you have some choice, but many things, there's all these rules and regulations. Every time they pass another regulation, they are limiting your choice. You no longer have a choice to do what you want. You must do what the regulation says. So the Democrats are the furthest thing you can from fro choice. There's just a few things that they want you to be able to choose. But now there's fewer things. I mean, they are really attacking individual uh, liberty and and, and freedom of speech and and freedom of expression and freedom of thought. And the the party has really gone to a a level that it needs to be resisted at all costs. And, you know, I'm not even sure uh, economically what is the better outcome. You You know, it's better if the Republicans maintain control of both houses of Congress or if they lose it, I mean, as far as that's concerned, because I have arguments for, for both sides. I mean, clearly, if the Democrats take Congress and we get an economic collapse, which I think we could get in the next two years, well, then at least the Democratic Congress could be partially to blame. But, you know, I still think they're going to blame the, the president more than they blame the House of Representatives. So, I, you know, that would give uh, the Republicans uh, something, but I don't know that it's much. People are saying, too, that if the Republicans maintain control of the House and the Senate, that we're more likely to get bigger deficits because we're going to have more tax cuts. And so I suppose if, you, if you're if you an enemy of big deficits, you might think, well, maybe we should have divided government because then there'll be some kind of check. I don't think so. I actually think that if we turn the House or even the Senate, which is less likely, to the Democrats, spending will go through the roof. I do not think it will be like a Republican Congress checking a Democratic president. That's when you might have some kind of positive gridlock. But I think a Democrat Congress with a Trump president is a recipe for fiscal disaster because Trump has been willing to work with the Republicans to pass tax cuts and spending increases. Well, I think he will also work with the Democrats to pass big increases in government spending. We know that Trump wants to do some kind of infrastructure deal, and he's going to do a big deal if the Democrats are in Congress. So I think we're going to have massive increases in government spending that Democrats will pass, and some Republicans will join those Democrats because Trump will be supporting and signing the legislation, especially if we are in a recession. So if the deficits are this large now, where Republicans control the Congress and the White House, I think they'll be even larger when the Democrats control the Congress, because the Democrats are even more reckless when it comes to spending than the Republicans. And the Democrats want even bigger government than do the Republicans. And I don't think that the Republicans will be in a position to oppose the spending increases that the Democrats want based on the fact that we can't afford it. It will increase the deficit because they already proved that they don't give a damn about the deficit because when their tax cuts and spending hikes increase the deficit, they didn't say anything. And so they're not going to be able to reverse course and, and, and all of a sudden become fiscal hawks when they were fiscal doves. So the deficits will be much bigger. And I think there will be tax cuts, when the Democrats control Congress, just not marginal tax cuts or not pro-business tax cuts. They will be targeted tax cuts that only benefit the uh, poor the middle class. And so they will likely have an even bigger impact on the deficit because they will produce even less economic growth or no economic growth at all. It'll just amount to a bunch of money printing. And so the only thing we'll have is bigger deficits and higher inflation. So I still think that we're better off having the Republicans maintain control of Congress because the Republicans are gonna get blamed for the collapse regardless of who has Congress. But if the Democrats take Congress, then the deficits are going to get even worse. The country is going to dig itself into an even deeper hole. And of course, the Democrats doing well in Congress only make it that much likelier that the Democrats will take the presidency in 2020. And this is not going to be your father's Democrat unless your father was a socialist. This is going to be the new Democratic Party, the Bernie Sanders Democratic Party. That is the big story of the 2016 election, it was not that Donald Trump won the White House. It was that Bernie Sanders almost won the Democratic nomination. And in fact, he would have won, but not for the corruption of Hillary Clinton. Had it actually been a fair race, the Democrats would have voted for a socialist. And that socialist very well may have beaten Donald Trump. He had a much better chance of beating him than Hillary Clinton. And I said that uh, from the beginning. But if we are in recession, if we are in a bear market in 2020, then Bernie Sanders or somebody to the left of him uh, will win. And I think that outcome is even greater to the extent that re- the Democrats can get a leg up in the midterms uh, by capturing the House or potentially the Senate, but not likely. But once again, the purpose of this podcast is as futile as your efforts may seem to be, let's at least put up a fight. Let's not go down without one. Let's do what we can to try to stop the forces of evil from rising to power. And so if you are living in a district, a state, where the outcome of any election is too close to call, then you got to get out and vote. If you haven't already voted, then go to the polls, tough it out, and you can vote for me because I can't vote, so somebody could vote in, instead of me. My wife can't vote either because we both live in Puerto Rico. So go out and vote, and we'll see what happens. And at least they won't be able to say it's our fault if we voted against the uh, socialist tide that is gaining momentum and will ultimately, uh, I think, drown the country in 2020 we